<laughs> well, it's lovely to see you this morning. Somebody, um, somebody asked me. Uh, what my favorite time of the week is. And I think it's actually coming in, in here uh, and just experiencing uh, the love and the smiles and the hugs of you guys. So I'm blaming you for my best day of the, of the week. Uh, so you stand guilty. It's terrific. Uh, this is a truncated sermon. So this is Nick at um, high speed rather than low speed. Uh, and I thought I'd share with you some of, the, some of the thoughts and passions that Mary and I gleaned whilst we were over in Canberra to, uh, with the fellow uh, sister churches in the Crosslink Christian Network. And gee, they're a good mob. You know, we were standing there and, and about a third of the people in, in the auditorium came from other countries. You know, it came from uh, Korea, uh, Indonesia, uh, and, and the various Russian states that were Myanmar, I never quite get that right, that one. And, um, and there's a real sense of, you know, of this incredible Christian gospel uh, uh, from around the world and very often from persecuted churches. And there we were together worshipping God absolutely as one. And it was a beautiful picture. You would have loved being there. And I guess very much you know, uh, on our thoughts was how do we do mission in, in, a, in a community which is desperately wanting uh, to push Christianity to the sidelines. How do, how do we do that? How do we win, win back credibility? Uh, how, do we, how do we have the right words to say to a nation, are you sure you want to go down this path? Because no one's ever done that before and come out of it well. Uh, and so we're talking about picking up our mission. And uh, here's some verses to consider. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Well, I'm looking across at you guys and I'm seeing the upright. I didn't say you were perfect, so relax, it's cool. But I do know you to be upright. I do know you to have a passion for the good things of God. And, uh, and that means that God is looking at you and me, the upright, to be a blessing to our city, to be a blessing to the communities in which we have uh, some influence. We talked last week about the transactional environment. Remember that? That's a really sort of fancy word so you can impress people with it. It just simply means the mob of people that you brush up against during a day. <laughs> but it sounds better if you use transactional environment. You know, you've been to the business conference meeting. Yeah. Here's another one. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now you, you, you can just sort of run that off and not really think about it, but it's actually saying something very, very profound. It's actually saying that where godly principles reign in a nation, uh, there's, something, there's a profound change that takes place. It becomes a civilized nation. It means that other people come to your nation seeking its civility and safety and seeking its well-being. 
And it's no accident that refugees in general are seeking to come to nations which had at least at some stage a Christian heritage. That's where they find justice a fair go. That's where they find freedom from persecution. And finally, from Proverbs 13, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. Um, there are some nations I go to which I can't get out of quick enough. I have to say Dubai is one of them. Uh, I just do not see justice when I look around Dubai. I see a slave culture, Filipinos and Indians, Pakistanis almost working as slave labor. I see overprivileged people doing nothing at all, uh, just sitting on their egos. And you, you can't be proud of, of, of a nation that is, has such riches and such poverty and lack of equity. Uh, righteousness does not exalt that nation. So how, how do you go about rescuing a future for our nation. Well, nothing's going to happen unless there's a passion born uh, in us, unless you have a passion for it. Zeal is required. You may remember <laughs> that when Jesus felt zeal for the temple of God in Jerusalem, the heart of the city, uh, he sure went for the place where, which defined the whole culture of the city. He went to the temple <laughs> and the zeal for God's kingdom meant that he took off his belt and he started whacking it, whacking people who were selling cattle and doves and goodness knows what, and the money changes, and he upended their tables and he drove them out of the court of the Gentiles, in a massive great big court, the outer court of the temple. He drove them out and said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, and you turned it into a cattle market. Uh, and he was distinctly grumpy about that. And so nothing much happens unless you have got zeal. And uh, when John writes about that um, occasion when Jesus drove out the money ch changes, he said that Jesus did this in fulfillment of Psalm 69 verse 9 where it says there that the zeal of the Lord consumes me. <laughs> I didn't, between you and me, I, did, I didn't really want to be a pastor. I tried to be an academic nerd. I thought I'd earned the right to, to hide in an academic cave. Because um, being a pastor was just too hard and broke too many hearts. And, and then God sorted me out and said, Nick, just get on with it. And, um, and I tried the usual bargaining things. You know, Lord, I will if, if it's going to be successful. And God says, I guarantee nothing at all. Just what part of the O word don't you know, Nick? Obedience. What part of that do you not understand? Obedience. And so we started Rivergate. <laughs> and, um, and so it was really, really fabulous um, to find a, a group of people who had a passion uh, for what could be in terms of the church's engagement in the community. 
and, and so God has put us into this church community uh, to foreshadow the values and relationships that will exist in the coming kingdom of God. So you might as well get used to it now because you're going to have to, <laughs> that, that sort of loving community stuff is what will happen in God's kingdom and we get to prefigure that now on earth in this incredible family uh, called church uh, when it's functioning properly. And uh, church, coming together as church enables us to do things we couldn't do on our own, quite apart from encouraging each other and it being a lot of fun. Um, and so it's not enough just to have zeal if you're going to transform your nation. You've actually got to be careful who you partner with and you've got to choose people with a similar zeal and similar values and say, let's do this together because we can do more together than on our own. I was reminded of Jehu and Hehonadab. I'm sure you've been reading this this morning, but just in case you haven't, I'll read this bit to you. Are you paying attention? Good. After Jehu left there, he was a guy who drove his chariot like a madman. I always liked that. And I always blamed my motorbike driving on this guy because... And people, my Mary used to say, you are riding like Jehu, like a madman. That was a complete aside, by the way. After Jehu left there, he came upon Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him. And Jehu greeted him, and he's in his chariot, and he's off to war. He's off to decapitate people. He's off because he's really grumpy against people who have... Um, tried to institute godlessness in the nation. And Jehu greeted him and said, Are you in accord with me as I am with you? So Jehu is already saying, I actually have the same values as you do. Uh, but, but I just want to check that you have got the same values as I have, because I feel I've got the same ones as you, you have. And so Jehonadab replies, Are you in accord with me as I am with you? I am, Jehonadab answered. If so, says Jehu, give me your hand. So he did. And Jehu helped him up into the chariot, the war chariot. And Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And then had him ride along in his chariot, 2 Kings chapter 10. So what do we learn from this? Find those who share your zeal and team up with them. <laughs> Find those who share your zeal and team up with them. Honour those whose uh, intention is greater than their fear. Okay, that went straight over your head. Let me just, it's worth sitting with that one. It's a very impressive statement. And it's not mine. Honour those whose intention is greater than their fear. Otherwise, honour those who've got the gut to do something about it not just commentators from the side who whinge. The second thing to do after directing your zeal wisely and teaming up with those who share it is to be strategic. And I was reminded again of this really fairly obscure passage. So you're really getting some obscure passages from the Bible today. So I hope you're taking notes. And I'm going to read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. And 
David is um, galloping around uh, Palestine and he's slowly building his kingdom. He's just uh, conquering things and uniting things and building them together. And um, he comes across the capital of, uh, of the Jebusites. And it is the town of Jerusalem. And so this is, which came, became known as David's city, of course. So this is David's city. So here's David's first encounter with Jerusalem. And, uh, and it's been held by the Jebusites. So let me read to you. David and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. And the Jebusites had said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. And they thought, David cannot get in here. <laughs> and then it just says, Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And then he goes back, the writer, and explains how it happened. He said, on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind who are David's enemies. And that is why they say the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. And he built up the area around it from the terraces inward and he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. So it just, this, this story is full, it's full of humanity because the Jebusites essentially just going, na 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 na, you can't get in here, you see. Uh, even the lame and the blind will keep you out. Nah, nah, nah. It's, it's, it's really mature stuff, you know. Um, and, and David says, it's, it's a well-defended city. Uh, it's up on a hill. It's got good good walls and fortresses and so he has to think strategically at that point you know there's no point just marching in there he's got to he's got to think strategically he says well oh, jerusalem always has a water problem which means that they've got a water shaft down to the gion springs so um we can sneak in through the, the water shaft and that's that was the bit that was the strategy that god showed him and he conquered the city like really easily. <laughs> and then he b helps build up the platform, which is, apart from anything else is, is, is where the Herod's temple um, uh, would also s sit later on when Herod really extended the platform massively. Um, and, and just to rub salt, I mean, you wouldn't like to be in a Jebusite at that point, would you? I mean, come on, you, you've been really mean to him. <laughs> And then David not only captures it, it really easily, it gets called David's city. I mean, that's really rubbing it in, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. So be strategic. That's what I'm going to do. Thirdly, uh, I, I just want to say, take the next generation along with you. Take the next generation along with you. And the, the conference in Canberra really featured, made a, made a big, big feature of this. One of the passages was was written uh, was read out, of course, was the last few passages of the Old Testament, the last few verses of the Old Testament, which, in case you didn't know, Malachi, uh, chapter four, uh, verses five and six, and we read that. Uh, well, let me read it. First of all, I read Malachi, 
chapter 3, verse 1, and then 4, 5 to 6. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, it's really quite interesting that when um, Jesus has been talking with some of the disciples of John, that John has sent whilst he himself, John, was in prison, in the dreadful fortress prison at Makarios on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. It was a formidable place. And he would be beheaded there um, later on. But when John was still alive, he sent messages to Jesus just to check he was the right, really was the Messiah. And Jesus' reply is beautiful. He just simply says, go and tell Jono um, what I say and what you see. Have a nice day. (laughs) You see? Actually, John, blind people can see. The poor have the gospel preached to them. (laughs) And John says, ah, (laughs) uh, I shall stop worrying now, (laughs) you know. And, um, and And so Jesus... Uh, when, the, when, when John's disciples go, Jesus turns to the crowd that's gathered around him and says, who do you think John is? And, uh, and then he goes on to say, yeah, he's a prophet. In fact, he's, he's the greatest of the prophets. Isn't that a great thing to say? He's the greatest of the prophets. He, in fact, he was the last of the prophetic line of, in, of, of the type of Old Testament prophet. He, John would be the last one. And, and then he goes on to say this, as John's disciples were leaving, I'm reading from Matthew 11, verses 7 to 10. As John's disciples were leaving, uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? And you remember John was in the, living in the wilderness and people went out to him to be baptized. What, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Oh, he's someone really important. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so he, Jesus links John with that message about the messenger who would come to prepare a way. Uh, and, and what is beautiful is that, is that a key role of, of the messenger, of, of God's messenger, is to restore the broken places between the generations so that children would honour their parents and parents would love and care and instruct wisely their children that 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 will be mended because it hasn't always been in good shape, certainly not in the Western world. So how do you rescue a future? You've got to care about it to have a zeal and then team up with those who share that zeal. Second, be strategic. Be strategic. Listen, Lord, what is, what, is, what, is, what is the key that unlocks this problem? 
And third, just make sure that you are not just a one-generation wonder, but you leave a legacy to succeeding generations and you put your arm around them and brought them with you so that they know who they are, that they're trained in leadership, they're able to carry on the work of God. And I think that's pretty much the summary of the tenor of what we talked about at Crosslinks. That's pretty good, isn't it? You think? That's my mini-sermon. Do you want the long one now? Let me pray. Dear Lord, it's just beautiful to sit for a few minutes together uh, and just hear the beautiful wisdom of your words. Feel the strength that comes from it, the encouragement that comes from it. And to say, yes, we're proud uh, to be defined by the principles of God. We are, we are thrilled, we are released, we, we feel the freedom of it, we feel the security of it. And, and so we ask, dear Lord, that we would adopt the godly principles you've put there for our, 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 for our good. Because, Lord, we are passionate about our nation. We are passionate uh, about the future for our children. We, we care about it. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would direct our zeal so that we partner with people who share it and that we have the right strategy, a strategy that involves your truth and your grace. Because we don't want to be horrible. Your truth and your grace. Uh, and to do it in a way that is winsome to the next generation. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.